if you've spent any amount of time around ambient, post-rock, and adjacent genres in the last 20 years, it's very likely that you've heard the music of Hammock, a Nashville-based duo consisting of Mark Bird and Andrew Thompson. To describe their music is pretty difficult. The two of them have added varying degrees of instrumentation on top of their guitar playing over the years, ranging from the most minimal, just the two of them, playing hushed drones alongside cello and voice, all the way to the most maximal of arrangements with full choirs, drums, and orchestra generating massive walls of sound. The result is always spectacular, and it's hard to overstate the emotional impact of their songs. It's a stunning blend of beauty, sadness, and ache. The two seem to have an uncanny ability to find exactly the right way of tugging at your heartstrings and probing the full range of human emotion through sound. I can personally attest to how powerfully their music can meet someone in both the peaks and valleys of life. Their music has provided me comfort and inspiration for as long as I can remember. They're a big reason why I'm making the music that I do. I had the chance to sit down with Mark and ask him how he feels about the emotional impact that his music has on people who hear it. He reflected on this and also opened up on a wide range of additional topics, both band-related and personal. I really hope you enjoy the conversation here and take as much from his perspective as it offered to me. Here's my interview with Mark Bird of Hammock. All right, Mark Bird, welcome to Sound Methods. Thank you for being here and taking the time out. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm trying to get my inner diehard fan out of the way, not be too embarrassing, and think of some meaningful questions to ask you. But you guys have been a band for, I think, 20 years now at this point, or close to it. Um, mm-hmm. So there's already been you know, so much ground covered in past interviews and, and press releases and all the other documentation that surrounds your work. So I'm hoping to cover some less traveled territory with my questions. And it's no small feat, but looking forward to, you know, seeing wherever this conversation goes. My first question kind of relates back to that first point I made. You know, you've made music for so long that's so emotional for so many people. It's it's very visceral and vivid. And I can only imagine the amount of you know, feedback that you're getting from listeners on the impact that it's had on them. I'm one of those people. My twin brother, Mike, is one of those people too. I think we still talk about it all the time. He wrote to you guys back in 2010 after you released Longest Year. That actually came out on our birthday that year. And he was he was telling me the other day how deeply meaningful it was, you know, to get a reply back from you guys about what your music has, has meant to him, uh, and especially at that time in his life. But you know, I've heard people use all kinds of like very intense language to describe what your music does to them. Like it changed their life or it saved them or you know, similar sentiments like that. Do those kinds of responses affect your work in any way? I mean, do you feel any additional pressure to live up to those kinds of expectations after you hear it so often or exceed it on the next thing that you're working on? It's funny that you bring that up because, you know, I, I just, I had somebody ask me some questions similar to this. He's a friend of mine. And I asked our manager, Johnny Pleasant, I just said, man, you know, like, is there anything that you can send me as far as correspondence? Because I don't always look at all the correspondence, especially the Bandcamp correspondence, because it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's, it's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a lot. 
And it's very intense. You know, I mean, our comment section in YouTube almost feels like a support group, you know, mm, it's, yeah. it's, it's really, it's really amazing. I mean, I, I'm so surprised by it, but what I know is I process life through music in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of it has, has been like something so deeply personal can be uh, experienced universally is still kind of mind boggling to me. But I also think that that says something about just who we are and how, how common life experiences are and, and really how, and I'm, I mean, hammock's not for everybody. That's for sure. <laughs> but the people who, who get it, like they, there's not a lot of casual listeners. I'll say that. And they, they, it, and when you're in a band as long as we have, and, and they have lived their life with us, you know, like they have these attachments to real life experiences that when they hear the music, they're not just hearing the music, they're reliving that life experience. Mm. And then they're probably taking, you know, stock of where they are right now in their own current life experience. So do I feel pressure? I put an immense amount of pressure on myself to try to keep making music that I feel like a lot of bands that have been around as long as us kind of can, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like a lot of bands, you know, they always say when you're, when you get older, you can, you can just kind of farm it in and do what you want and, and take it easy. And that's just not in us, you know? And so I feel like there's an intensity about my connection with music and how much it is done for me in my life that it's been the most consistent presence and companion more than anything. And when I say more than anything, I mean more than religion, more than family, more than all of it, because it has been through all of that with me. And so the truth is that when I think back on my memories in my life, I, as the older I get, the things that I remember the most vividly are car rides with music. Mm, yeah. Which is so strange, you know? And sometimes I won't even hear, remember a conversation, but I'll remember the song that was playing. And so I, I think that, that our music does not inter put anybody in a different realm, like a, like an additional realm. What it does do, I think, is it, is it, it, it can assist us in slowing down enough to notice that which is hiding in plain sight mm, and yeah. like experience something that's so familiar it's taken for granted and then it becomes unfamiliar and and music really certain types especially and i mean all good art can do that it grounds you in what is to the point that what is feels new and strange and and anything that for me can make make the mundane strange to where the mundane begins to i still can see some some kind of amazing aspect of just being alive, just existing. All art, I think that's good, has that kind of element. And so, you know, the, the main thing, I mean, we hear all kinds of stuff that our music has, I mean, people have listened to, it's the last sounds people have listened to before they leave the planet, you know? Yeah. It's the first sound some people have heard. It's, it's it, babies have been made, drugs have been <laughs> taken, religious ceremonies have been performed, meditation, walks, I mean, sobriety, lack of sobriety. I mean, like all kinds of amazing things 
have happened. And it means so much to people that they want to tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. It's, it's astounding. It is. It, it's shocking. I mean, to a much lesser scale, like with the stuff that I make and I, I make with my band, like we still hear from people occasionally too. And gosh, I don't, yeah, I don't take that for granted at all. It's really, it's really just startling to hear what it can do to people. And to your earlier point about the car rides and music that you associate with trips like that, gosh, too. Yeah, I can think there's, there's just music that's burned holes in my brain at this point. I mean, I think car rides with my dad growing up, you know, driving way too fast and then listening to the police in his old Audi A4. Like I, I remember that, like, you know, it was yesterday. It's just amazing the impact it can leave on people. And I never want to, I never want to get used to it. That's right. The thing. Exactly. And sometimes we do. And sometimes, you know, but like my manager is so awesome. Sometimes he would just send me just, Hey man, in case you're wondering why we do what we do and you're wondering if all of this hair pulling and what's going to go on the next album, what's going to be the sequence, how are we going to let some of these songs go? You know, this is taking too long. I thought it was done and all of the pressure and all of that, you know, any, you know, he just occasionally will send me just this long email of nothing but correspondence and, I mean, really, it, 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 I mean, I am shocked because it, it sounds like, it, it sounds like they're being touched by, I mean, it's, yeah, it, they're, they're being touched by something deeper than music, but yet it's just music. Right. But yet, right. But yet it's not <laughs> also, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Emotionally charged waves of sound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, it this was kind of the, the the next bullet point under that question for me was, was sort of getting at the gist of what you were saying a little bit there, but like the listener impressions that come in and that you see, I was going to ask if that affects the way that you hear your own work after the fact, or if you even listen to your own work. But the sense I'm kind of getting from what you just said there is that it seems like it's heightened your appreciation uh, for the act of making music, knowing what it can do to people. Is that sort of an accurate assessment, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely. But but like Andrew doesn't listen to hardly anything we do outside of working on it, right? I do. I have to. I'm the one sequencing the records and coming up. I mean, it, it's, you know, there's there's work late at night that I do, you know, and, and so, yes, I do listen to our music. And I don't like to listen to an album once it's mastered for a long time. And then I approach it so that I can hear it fresh and new and, and, and the inner critic hopefully will, will, will dissipate some, but, but, but I hear our music. I don't know that I can hear my, our music the way some people hear it, but I do. I'm fully aware. I mean, Andrew and I make a joke all the time, like, man, all right, this is going to make them cry, you know? And, 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 you know, this, this, this will you in your boo-boo, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. It's like, like this, we just are, are always, saying, you know, I, I hope no one's sitting next to a cliff when they're listening to this, you know, that kind of thing, you know? And, yeah. and so, yeah, we are kind of aware that, that like, there's a, there's a real emotional, I mean, we're fully aware. Of it. We don't, we don't, we don't apologize for it. Now, starting out with hammock, we never once said, oh yeah, we're trying to reinvent the wheel, man. We're, we're really, really, really trying to create something brand new. We just really wanted to make music that if we walked into a music store and it was playing, we would ask the cashier, who is this? That's yeah. all. That's all. 
And, 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 and for me, it's like, you know, hammock came from the, the, the name we weren't taking ourselves. We didn't think anything was going to come of it. I was having a party at our house and had some friends over and I had a hammock in the backyard where my wife and I used to lay there and listen to music and look at the stars. And I was like, we don't know what to call it. We've got this whole album done. We don't like, and my friends said, call it hammock. I was like, oh yeah, hammock. Sure. Cool. And I didn't think of hammock like the lazy beach, you know, kind of, I thought of it more like, you know, looking at the stars. That's what I've done mostly in hammocks. And so there's a contemplative element to it, you know, but, but more than anything, I think it's more about like, how does it make me feel? Because I will let go of songs that like technically are amazing, right? For us, at least. I'll just say that. For some people, they'd be bored. But for us, <laughs> like, wow, this is something new, you know? But, but it doesn't have that I want to come back for the feeling, right? Right. It's more like I'm coming back for a musical exercise rather than I'm coming back for a musical experience. Mm. And I'm not saying that the two are separated from one another necessarily, but if I had to choose which way I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean always on a simpler, more emotional uh, piece of music that some people would find boring. But if you sit with it long enough, it will open up space inside of you that, you know, which all good art can do. Yeah. I love that. Gosh. And the, it, brings up a couple of points that I wanted to to get to throughout the conversation here, but I guess I'll start with this one. I was talking to Taylor Dupree the other day and, and he said something that really stuck with me. I, I love this comment that he made, but cause I really resonate with it. I hate, he said, I hate listening to the music that I make until I've forgotten how I made it. Yeah. <laughs> I, t- I totally feel that. Cause like I, yeah, I, I cringe. I, I hear specific decisions I made and I start overthinking and that's like when my critic is at its fiercest is when I can still remember what went into the creation of that thing. And so I'm curious to know, like in the kind of music that we make where it's, it's instrumental, it's atmospheric, there's a good deal of processing and, and mixing and kind of after the fact work that goes in after you've laid the initial foundation with your instrument. And, you know, I, I think about this all the time. Like people ask me, oh, you make music, you, you play guitar, play us a song. And like, I can't really play you a song like that. If you give me three delay pedals, I can play you a song. But I'm yeah. curious, like how you view your instrumental musical identity. Because I know you play guitar, of course, but do you do you kind of find yourself identifying over time with the whole product itself like the end result or do you still view yourself as a guitarist first and foremost i love hearing from people about that perspective that they have i guess on what they do yeah that's a great question i'll just tell you that when we made it in guitar player magazine this last year <laughs> uh, our inner 13 year olds were losing their mind i mean that's like, the that, stuff of dreams yeah <laughs> you know and not just to like have a little thing online, but like to be in print in, in both guitar world and whatever guitar world is over in England. Yeah. I mean, that, that was like, like even people from my hometown in El Dorado, Arkansas would understand that. Like, mm, yeah, <laughs> like bird, birds, birds in guitar world, man. Can you believe that? You know, like that kind of thing, you know? And so, so yeah, I mean, for me, I will always in some way be a guitarist, uh, yeah. but like I've never been a traditional guitarist. I'm never like learning other people's songs. 
Um, uh, my nickname was Mark, Mark, Mark growing up because I used so much delay and, and I've always wanted to, and, and my, what ended up being my favorite guitar players, you know, of course you all start when you're young, like you like to oh, speed and whatever, you know, Matt Kidd will tell you, he went through that phase too. And, and but Matt can kind of do that stuff. I can't really do it. But, but when I moved into like listening to more of the Smiths, the church, the cure post-punk kind of things, and then like Robert Fripp and, and, or I'm talking about like earlier stuff, you know, really yeah, early stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I got into the, and, 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 and Andrew was a huge Adrian blue fan. And, and, and so that's how old we are. But, but like when I found that kind of sound, I realized that I wanted to make more of a sonic landscape than I did a, a really nice performed guitar piece. Right. Sure. Yep. I've only had a few guitar lessons in my life. My classical guitar teacher, I only could take a few from him because my studies began to completely suck because I was <laughs> obsessed with it. But his words, his, his, his assessment of me, I'll say this. And what he told my, my family was that he would make a good composer. Right. So he was basically saying that like, okay, he's an okay guitar player, but he thinks more, you know, he, yeah. he kind of wants to construct. And so I don't, he saw something in me and he, he went on to Juilliard and, you know, he was a, he was a really good, good musician and insightful. He could see it, you know, at, at a young age, he saw something in me that like, yeah, okay. He wants to play guitar, but in reality, he told me to go home and learn some things. I came in with the piece that I wrote. Right. And so that's the way I've always been. And that, that has created some problems for me, you know, uh, <laughs> over the years, but but I will say, though, you know, um, I mean, I live in a town where the people who mow your yard and, 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 and wait on you in restaurants can play me under the table. Yeah, you know, yeah I was going to ask about that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like I'm, I'm under no illusion of my limitations, but I am a big believer that limitations can make you have a unique perspective. You know, yeah. it's like when, when Brian Eno told you too, it's like, like, man, when, 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 when bands understand their limitations, that's their identity instead yeah. of it being a bad thing that becomes their identity. And so, you know, when we understand our limitations, we're not trying to step too far out of our comfort zone to try to like, you know, prove to people. I mean, we're not Radiohead. I wish we yep. had that, but we're not, you know? And, <laughs> and, and so, but, but the truth is, is like, do I see myself as a guitar player? Yeah, but I definitely see myself much more of like a sound sculpture. And and the other thing I'll say, though, is like, man, we, we don't just do pure ambient. We do post-rock also. And I didn't even know what that was when we started. I just knew I liked Cigaros and Mogwai um, and Explosions in the Sky. And somebody said, oh, you like post-rock? I was like, I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> and so so I, I, I was very much into shoegaze, you know, when the, when the mm, 90s yeah. hit and it was like Nirvana and everybody else. And I, my friends were into sub-pop stuff you know we used to joke like you heard nirvana you know oh my god you know and but <laughs> the truth is, is that like i was listening to curve and swerve driver my bloody valentine chapter house slow dive yeah. and the verbs first two 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 records i mean i was really big into that and that was way more my world than like the heavy stuff i tried to do the heavy thing for a little bit but like i feel much more at home creating mood yeah. Yeah. 
Gosh, and your point about limitations too. I think it was Eno also who said like even even limitations in a given like format or medium, the way that things are presented, that that then becomes like a desirable thing. Like the I think his quote was talking about like now people desire like the the lo-fi character the like the 16-bit, 12-bit CD players that that had that certain character and edge to them. That's now desirable. And that was a limitation back then, but it's now looked at as like this aspirational aesthetic that people want <laughs> to pursue. I, I find that so interesting. I mean, when, when I moved to Nashville, my first experience in the studio was on 24 track, two inch tape, you know? Yeah. So I learned how to create music being under restrictions. Sure. And, and some, sometimes I think that's a really good thing, especially to learn on, but I mean, we've overdone it, you know, like, like, I mean, we've really gone, you know, there, I mean, our, our mixing, God bless our mech, man, they have a job <laughs> ahead of them. You know what I mean? Like, 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 sure. Oh God. What we did at Tim poles between chasing after shadows and departure songs. Cause he mixed like the beat, the beat pieces on that record. And he was like, Oh yeah, man, this is cool. I can do this. And then we did departure songs and we threw that at him. And he was like, Oh my God, what have you done? You know, this, <laughs> how am I supposed to get through this, you know? You know and, and that was just us realizing that, you know, we can play around. I also think that we can have fun doing this stuff, but I also think that we can overdo it too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. I, and that, that brings up a point too. The, so you mentioned limitations and, you know, how maximal you have gone at some points, but the, thing that I find interesting about hammock history, I, I was looking back on this because I wanted to fact check some things ahead of time. But I remember reading something that you guys, in when you played your first live show with Yonzi and Alex at, at an exhibition in Little Rock or Hot Springs, Arkansas, yeah, I believe it true. was, you intentionally went into that knowing that you wanted to be able to perform everything right there with loopers and you set up that initial kind of constraint for yourselves to operate within that space that worked for that night. And it got me thinking some of the other shows that you guys have played, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, there's not a lot of them, but the ones that you have played seem like, like bucket list type opportunities. You know, I mean, that one in particular to, to have that be your debut performance <laughs> seems like a dream right. to me personally yeah. speaking. Yeah. I know you've played in New York with stars of the lid. Uh, you, you've also come here to Philly to do the gatherings uh, concert series in the past. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, like after that, it seems like the live aspect of your music doesn't seem to be as big of a focus for you guys. Is there a specific reason for that? Or would you be open to playing shows again in the future at any point? Interested to yeah. hear your perspective. I, I mean, I think the main thing is just because, I mean, Matt Kidd is always begging us to do shows because <laughs> he wants to play in the band and be the music supervisor and all that. But, but like, it's just, it's just a lot, you know, like, like what part of our catalog are we going to do? We're going to do the heavy orchestrated choir singing are we going to do the minimal ambient are we going to do the 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 loud you know post-rock stuff and yes i'd like to do all of it you know but but you know we were able to put together something that worked where we could take it out and and perform it and i think the only reason that we haven't done it is money it takes a lot of money to go on the road and 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 you know Andrew and I cut our teeth in our twenties. Like I, I, I was sleeping on an air mattress in a, in a studio when I met Andrew, 
right? And so I I spent my twenties dirt poor, mm. and and Andrew did too. I mean, and we were good poor people. We knew how to we knew how to stretch this stuff, you know. And <laughs> and but we traveled. I mean, we we were we we humped it out. I mean, like it was hard work, you know. Slept in the Joshua Tree Park not because we were wanting to see the sites, but because we need, we went up to somebody and said, can you let us crash at your campsite? Cause we have no money hmm. either pay gas, pay for gas to get back or buy a hotel room and we have to have gas. Right. And so, I mean, that's, that's, that for me is like, like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Again. That's a young man's thing. And I'm not that anymore. And, and also we we've tried to be strategic with hammock and always think long term turn down record deals turn down stuff you know that we knew we would lose control you know people are like yeah it's so weird how some critics or outlets you know musical outlets can't can't take you serious if you're self-released but it's like well we're self-released by choice it's not like because we I mean we've had the knock on the door and we've done the numbers on what we would lose if we gave you control not just artistic part of it. So no, we don't want that, you know? And I think that's the same thing with playing live. We tried to be strategic. I mean, I mean, we accidentally ended up doing the show for Yancey and Alex. We, we ended up doing stars of lid because Brian loved raising your voice, trying to stop an echo. Mm. And then Adam fell in love with us and booked us for the wordless music event in New York. And then got us a gig in Brooklyn at his friends now defunct, club monkey town you know and and so like like that kind of thing makes sense what we would love to do i think is probably do a few shows and really spend almost nine months to a year promoting it so that people could fly in and come in and i'll be honest with you we did have an opportunity to work with a huge live booking agency the guy who the guy who started booking the band fish he, oh, started, wow. <laughs> he started booking them when they only had seven people. Right. And he saw something. Now I hate fish. I'll just tell you right. Now. Yep. Uh, but, but he saw something in them that realized that they could be more than a live show. Or they could be, they could be like this experience and you could play it out for on a, over a couple of days. And he's, he's, he started listening to our music cause he was, he had cancer and he was doing these alternative treatments in Germany and he, and his, he had anxiety and his girlfriend said, you got to get your hammock on. He's like, I don't know what that is. So he listened to hammock and he called our manager and he said, you're only the second band I've ever reached out to. And this guy booked wow. everybody. Wow. But anyway, he ended up, pass- we had this thing set up in New York and we were going to test all this out, but he ended up passing away. And I think after that, we just kind of like, just like, let's just, I think after that we landed a you know Far Cry Five or something and yeah we just got we just got into this to the studio again and then it just went away you know yep but I don't want to I don't want to leave this planet having not played another live show because Hammock definitely is for me the most powerful live thing I've ever done because I've seen clubs turn into churches almost you know what I mean yeah. it's, it's wild it's really wild so. I, I'll be the first to say, yeah, I, I'll fly anywhere, anywhere you guys choose to do it, I'll go. So <laughs> I well, eagerly, fine. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I'll say too, Andrew, is that, is that, that Andrew and I, Andrew grew up on a farm, right? I grew yep. up in Arkansas. My dad put me to work when I was 13 at his factory. We have a work ethic. 
like we're from the South. I mean, we blue collar, we work hard. So when we want to do something live, man, we spend hours, days doing this and getting it right. And because we just don't, we just, we want to present the music well because we want people to have an experience, you know? So it's a lot of work and there's not a lot of money and that's just the reality of it. No, there is not. Yeah. I, I can adamantly say, I mean, especially now in the year 2024, I mean, you know, we were playing shows, we've played probably a hundred shows in the last, I think five or six years of doing this. And I'll tell you now is harder than ever to, to make it work. It is just so difficult. Really something did change, you know, after the last, after the last couple of years we've been through in terms of people's appetite and willingness to, to sit through this stuff, I think, which is sad to say, but I mean, comparing what we were doing in 2019, playing shows and the places that we were, that we had access to and, and the crowds that were coming to that stuff compared to what we've just done in 22 and 23, it's a whole, you know, different environment out there, which is a bummer. But to your point, it, it is a bummer. Yeah. Cause I want to ask you a question Yeah, because this is true for us. Like when we were doing shows, you know, and playing out and, and traveling and m- hanging out with people and meeting listeners for Andrew, especially he's, he doesn't have the ego I do. Right. And I've always said that like, if, if we, if there were two of us in the band, we would beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> um, but, but like if there was two of me, so, so I, I, I will tell you that like, I think for Andrew, especially being on the road and playing live really makes him aware more aware of what Mm. we do yeah and it makes him more it makes him feel more like he's in a band right and so and that he's a musician because he's playing it live and i think for him it's taken a while for him to accept the fact that you know we are artists right we've been doing this for a long time but because we we're not playing out live all the time we don't get that kind of immediate gratification of hanging out after a show and and sure. and listening to all the so i'm curious do you do you feel more like 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 you're more of a musician when you're out on the road yeah it's a it's a really interesting question because i do think i do think it brings things home for me i don't i wouldn't say i feel like more of a musician but i i i feel it more acutely i guess um, i feel it more immediately in the moment and it's it's to such a degree that especially because most of my time spent in Hotel Neon, we, we were a trio. So there's, you know, there's three of us and we're bouncing ideas off each other. And that act of playing with those guys in particular is really special to me. And I think it's become such a, such a fun experience that we now, we now write music with sort of a perspective on it that it could be done live at some point in the future if we needed to. So that's always kind of like this thing in the back of our head when we're when we're writing in the studio we don't compromise on what we're doing there but we do think about man so what would that mean if we were to take this out and road test it and and take it in front of people like what would it take to replicate that what would it take to do it so i wouldn't say that yeah i wouldn't say that i feel like more of a musician but i feel like it has definitely informed the way i work because i enjoy it so much i personally just enjoy that experience of of doing it in front of other people and i've taken that back to the studio with me uh, and it enhances my studio work i think 
Yeah. And I, I think for us, when we made love in the void after being locked up and I do think like people getting a lot, being locked up and yeah. having all that time to contemplate and, and get real reflective, like, I don't want to go to a show that's going to put me in a reflective mood. Right. I just yeah. want to, you know, so yeah, like they yeah. enough alone time. Thanks. You know what I mean? So, so <laughs> but, and I mean, that's what we did when we went in to make love in the void, we were just like, let's hire humans and let's hang out with humans and let's camp out in the studio and possibly make an album that sounds the most like a band that we've ever done. So that if we did want to play it out live, we could. Yeah. And yep. Life happens and we end up not playing a show, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you bring it up. So I'm going to go there right now. Anyway, I, I, I wanted to ask about that album in particular, Love in the Void. So I think if there was a press release that like summed up the energy of an album perfectly, it would be that one. I love like the emphasis on the emphatic drumming, like the sense of urgency that's there. It really, I mean, it really does feel and, and the, the words describe this very well. I think it does really feel like a shot of energy. Like, and you know, we were talking about maybe they will sing earlier and even, you know, listening to, to things like the sleepover series or what have you. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a big change from your earlier work, a natural one, I feel like personally, but it is a big change nonetheless. So I'm wondering if during the process of that writing, did you guys have any self-doubt about that direction that you're taking like gosh this is such like a high energy guitar forward thing like what are people going to think about this and what kind of strategies over time have you developed to to get over that inner critic that may or may not be there i'm, I'm not sure i'm i'd that, love to hear your take question. that's a great question yes we do have profound doubts i mean it's the cycle right i mean you know you start yep. out the record you stumble onto something new you get this vision you're like let's do it and you start doing it you're like oh this is great then you get in the middle of it and you're like i, I don't know man and then <laughs> and then you start listening back to everything and you're thinking are these all the songs or do we need to keep writing and yeah. then like oh man i think this all sucks and then <laughs> it comes back to you know like somehow there's a shift and it's usually for me having someone else listen to it who's not familiar with it mm. and say something that that i know is true about it and then there's a confirmation i'm not saying yeah. that i need people to tell me it's okay to release this one you know this record that we're working on right now is really difficult because there we have so much material so much <laughs> you read my we, mind I'm going to go there in a minute, but yeah, yeah. we have a ton of material left over. Our archives are huge and, and, and we're currently looking for someone to, to, you know, oversee that after we're gone or whatever. So, mm -hmm. but, but like with, with in particular love in the void, we knew that we were doing something different, but at the same time, I knew what I was listening to. Mm, yeah. Right. And, and, and I was not listening to ambient music. And I'm, if I'm just going to be honest with you you know, there's a seriousness and an intensity about ambient music that I sometimes feel like the, the theme or the motto for it would be all serious all the time. <laughs> right. And, and, yeah. and like, I just, yeah. it gets fatiguing sometimes a hundred percent because it, it puts me in competition with people. And I think some of it's insecurity because, you know, well, we're fully aware we're making music that's not for everybody and it's a niche market and, you know, and blah, blah, and, you know, and we're the artists and they're the people who are making a product and all this stuff that we end up yeah. doing. 
and I'm, I get very snobby. I get very whatever, you know, but at the same time, I don't, I don't have to confine myself because the only re like take advantage of the fact that I, that we are self-released. So why, if we're going to go to the trouble to do all the work to release our own records, would we start saying we can't do this? Yeah, exactly. Why? Yep. You know, or, Hey, we want to do this, but let's call it something else hmm. because it's so far out. Well, wouldn't it still be us making it? Yes, it would be. And who makes up hammock? The two of us. So why <laughs> don't we just do this thing that, you know, I, I mean, we are kind of moving towards almost like a post genre type thing. It's, it's the algorithms that needs to label it something it's, you know, but like people's playlists are much more, there's much more variety now, much more awareness. And, and so I love a lot of different kinds of music. Ambient's still probably my favorite, you know? I mean, I, there, there's something special about really good ambient music. But the truth is, there's a lot of really bad stuff out there right now. And a lot of people making it for the wrong reasons, which is playlist or, you know, health and lifestyle, you know? And I get scared sometimes because I came out of a fundamentalist Christian home, right? Mm, yeah. Where I was raised... You know, I burned all my rock and roll records. My stepfather made me burn my comic books and my rock and roll records, right? I mean, a literal bonfire. Like, yeah, wow. Do that. Okay. So, so people wondered, like, why hasn't Mark moved on from cassette to C CD yet? And the reason I hadn't is because I could go to a Christian bookstore and buy a cassette and unscrew it and put the reels of a really good album in there. And when my mom asked me what I was listening to, I could say, whatever, Petra, you know? And so, <laughs> So I grew up hearing that music needed to serve some kind of utilitarian purpose to justify itself, right? Yep. I'm not, I'm fully aware that music can be healing, but that's not why I make music. I am, I make music because music is worth making and, and music for it's just for itself is the purpose. That's it. Right. So if I, if I put an agenda on top of it, it reminds me of the propaganda element of like, hey, man, unless it's like got this message or this certain thing, you know, doesn't matter how good the music is, you know, it's not serving the, the purpose, you know. And and so I I I feel like music deserves to be revered, but I also think music wants us to also not take ourselves so serious. Uh, yeah, I'm I've been like a bobblehead this whole <laughs> conversation because i i could not agree more with, with what you're saying yeah I, I was talking to my friend andy othling the other day and you know he he and i we get along really well but i think a big part of that is because we we don't take this stuff seriously and he was saying something to the effect of like you know at the end of the day i just want to play my guitar i want to hear what comes back into my ears and i just want to enjoy it and there's no other you know, there's at the start of something, there's no other motive beyond that. Just making that sound is valuable to me and, and healthy for me. And I tell people all the time too, like the, the work that I do when I'm making music, I mean, it's almost like a, almost like a diaristic effort for me. Like I'm, I'm doing it because it's just like, it's just what I do. I don't know. I, I sit down and like in the same way that some people write in a journal or just like document their thoughts or whatever. It's just what I do. I, I can't imagine not 
doing it. So uh, I totally resonate with, with what you're saying there. And I wanted to go back to an earlier point that you made about, you know, your, you guys and your Southern work ethic and the, the volume of material that I, I think you've you no doubt accumulated at this point. I do want to try to get out of you. Like it's got to be such a deep well of demos and ideas that you've got available uh, at this point. So do you, I mean, how do you decide when to pull from that reservoir? Like if you're starting a new project, do things typically start from scratch or what happens to that archive? Is that kind of put aside or when do you decide to, to revisit that? So usually, okay, so I go to a monastery in Big Sur once a year and, and I do a silent retreat, you know, like, like I'm going to do, a, but the first two to three days there are hard and uncomfortable because it's so quiet and there's no phone. I mean, there's no service whatsoever. I mean, mm. and I become fully aware how much I'm doing this and grabbing my, grabbing from my phone and, and, and thinking yeah. I could look something up and just, it, it's amazing. But so to ease myself into that, I'll bring with me like old stuff and, and, and I'll listen to it in that space and it's like, I really need to listen to it because I'm going to go crazy with all this silence around me. And so I need, so, and, and, and also silence works on you. It gets you focused, you know? And so I listen in a way that's very focused without being overly focused, if that makes sense. In other words, I'm not, I'm not like, like, it's not like when I'm listening to a new mix and I'm just nothing but critic. Like I gotta, I gotta think about all this it's it's much more like you know oh i'm revisiting an old friend let's see if it let's see if they're you know let's see if they're nice and yep. and so i do that you know about once a year like elsewhere that album that we made during the lockdown and all that that definitely had some archive stuff that yeah. that we drew from and so so but it, it but for the most part i mean like 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 i might say to our manager who is like he listens to everything. <laughs> so if I say, I feel like this new album that we're working on is missing this type of song. I'm trying to think of that thing in the archive. What is that? And he's like, Oh yeah, this is it. And so he'll send it to me. And, and then if that's not the one he'll send, Oh yeah, well it's this one. And so there are a couple that are on this, that, that might end up on this record. One, one that, that is left over from, I can't remember what album, so when is the time to do it? I, I don't know. But but for the most part, I have to start an album new. I, I, I just have to because if I don't kickstart with inspiration and I just feel like I'm trying to create material so that it can be released, that is not going to work for me. You know, it's like, yeah. like, like I would much rather bypass some good pieces that are already made and hope that a good one would arise with what I'm working on now. And I just, and all that takes time. And, and the luxury of once again, of being self-released is that, you know, this type of music takes time. I mean, yep. and, and, and you have to create enough distance between when you're making it and, and then deciding to assemble it as an album. Right. Right. Cause, cause if I make an album too soon after we're done creating the material, I'll either eliminate something or I'll put something in that, that for some reason I've grown attached to because yeah. I'm just, just, it's just the newest thing we worked on, you know? Yep. <laughs> Man, after about a month of not listening to it and then going back to it, 
you kind of like it's not it's not like your children anymore. It's just like a thing. I can let it go. And then the other thing, going back to not taking yourself so serious. I mean, I just have to remember that I'm just making a record. I am not performing brain surgery. I'm not trying to design a bridge so that people can cross. And if I don't do it right, they're going to fall into the ocean. I mean, I am literally just making music. That's all. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that process of of carving and shaping and eventually Ooh. arriving at a product. Yeah. That is that is the work for sure. So I, and then I when love- you realize that you've taken the scalpel out and you've like cut too much. Yeah. You know, like especially when it's like frequency taming and all of that. You're just yeah, like, oh yeah, well, yeah. I neutered this song. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like you're cutting, 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 and then all you've done is amplify the things in between all those cuts too. Yeah, I, I oh God, I'm terrible. I'll drive myself nuts during that stage. But I yeah, and the you hit on exactly a, a point that I wanted to touch too, but I know you're fond of Big Sur and those retreats that you do there. I wanna understand the the history behind that because I mean I I've fallen in love with Big Sur over the years too. Like I have a deep affinity for the place and I really love understanding people's attachment to certain geographies and places and how that affects and and shapes the person that they are. So I, I would love to hear sort of like the story behind Big Sur. Like how did you find it? What, what prompted that to be like your place of all the places, you know, that you could go, what stands out about Big Sur above the others? There's a real personal element to it. So, Mm. you know, my wife and I went one summer and got a house like way up and it was wonderful and beautiful. And, you know, I was in a pretty dark spot at that point. And this house that we, this Airbnb that we were renting had a decent library and, and I was, you know, spending my mornings kind of reading and, and I just fell in love with the beauty of it. Like I, 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 I fell in love with the mornings. And at that time I wasn't much of a morning person, mainly because I had a drinking problem. And so I went to Big Sur and then, and I fell in love with, it. I just really loved it. I love Henry Miller and I love, I just love all of that, you know? And so, so basically, and, and the climate, I mean, I'm, I just, you know, yeah. I'm not saying that I enjoy all the, atmospheric rivers that are happening right now, but I, I do mm-hmm. love the climate. And so anyway, I'm, I had neck surgery shortly after that. Well, a few months later and I had to recover. And so after I recovered from neck surgery, I got to take my first trip. You know, I wasn't allowed to drive for a long time because of, you don't realize how much you bounce up and down and, and turn and look and all that. So my wife asked me like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I think I saw a sign for this hermitage slash monastery when we were in Big Sur. And I want that to be my first big trip. Mm. And she's like, what? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I do. I, I want, I want that to be my birthday <laughs> present. So I went out there with the intention of trying to sober up for a little mm. bit. Yep. And I did not, do well sobering up prior to the trip. I had intentions <laughs> two weeks dry out, you know, and then, okay, it'll be a week of drying out. Okay. It'll be three days of drying out. Okay. I'm showing up at the airport hungover. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I'm getting ready to bail on this, this trip to Big Sur and I start getting a speech and a conversation behind me. They're not talking to me. And this person, I'm like, I'm going to call. I'm, 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 what am I doing? How am I yeah. going to handle this? This is crazy. I'm in no shape to do this. I'm going to call and tell my wife that I'm sick. You know, I can't do this. Then, I, then these people start talking about silence behind me and they just keep going and how we need, you know, and, and all the, the need for silence. We don't know how to be alone with ourselves and we push silence out of everything. And, and da, da, da. I mean, it was just amazing. And so I thought, well, okay, then maybe I should go on this trip. And I went there and about the third night in, I began thawing out and just had a really beautiful moment with realizing that I wanted to live life different yeah, than the way I'm living it. And I wanted to have these kinds of days. I mean, I won't be in Big Sur, but I want to wake up aware. And, I, you know, I was, you know, everybody quotes this, but this Mary Oliver, you know, like one day you knew what you had to be or had to do. Mm -hmm. And so you began, you just began, right? Yep. I wish it was that easy though, because I had really messed myself up. And so when I got back, I was sure like, I'm done. I'm never going to drink again. And I was drunk in two days. And that's when I realized I had a real problem and I got help. And um, so I go back to Big Sur every year out of gratitude for my sobriety mm. and to touch. It's like it's like a touchstone. It's like a reminder of what's what needs to be essential in my life and what's important. It's a panoramic view of things, because no matter what you do, even when you're doing what you love, it can narrow your vision to a point that you will lose a sense of the bigger picture and you're just living your little life lowercase and you're missing out on life, big L, you know, and, and, and also just the nights in big Sur where I can lay down on a bench and look up at the stars and see 21 satellites in 30 minutes, you know, like, yeah. I don't know about you, but man, listen to hammock there. Woo. That's amazing. I've done it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. Those winding cliffs. Yeah. God, there's just nothing like it. So that was, that was 10, I've done it 10 years in a row. So, so mm. that was 10 years ago when I did that. And I go back there because it's like a spiritual home to me in a way, you know, not because yep. it's a monastery, but because it's, it's, it's just a place where, you know, Pico Iyer has written some of his books there. He did a book on Leonard Cohen. And so I just, I just, it just resonates with me. I, I mean, I can't explain it. And I, and I think that's really good that I can't explain it. Yeah, exactly. There's some, there's some power in mystery. I, yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that. And I don't want to tame the mystery. I don't want to tame the mystery too much because I mean, somebody told me, you know, when I was trying to get sober, they were like, man, Mark, you, you, you've spent your life analyzing the mystery, sitting outside the mystery, trying to figure it out. I mean, the best thing I think you could do is just be part of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well said. Yeah. yeah. Just, just sit in that for sure. Yeah, man. And that's a, that's really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I, I, I was always curious about the, the meaning of that place for you. So thank you for sharing. And that is actually a good segue into another question that I had. I'm going to tee this up. So bear with me while I, I try to get this out, but I will land the plane at some point. When I think about the music that you guys make in Hammock, I actually wrote this down because I was trying to think like, what, like, what does it do to me? How, like, what do I, what do I feel? 
And to me, what I came up with was battle scarred optimism. It seems mm. like your music is kind of like there's an aching to it and there's like a longing to it that feels like it's acknowledging grief that you've been through. But I, I still come away from it every time I hear it with like this understanding or this acknowledgement that things are going to get better. And I know you've been open about tragic events that have happened with certain albums. Like I'm thinking about Mysterium that came after, you know, the horrible tragedy where you lost your nephew. Songs like Marathon Boy really stick with me. I I well up. I, I get a lump in my throat every time I think about like the Boston Marathon backstory to that. And like you're, you know, you've been very open and acknowledging all this ugliness in the past, but yeah, there's still something about that sound that feels like you're kind of reaching for things that are on the other side or like, you know, reaching for the light at the end of the, at the end of the day. And the music kind of closes the loop on all that grief. So all that said, I'm wondering if like that resonates for you and, and do you feel that your personal outlook on life kind of comes through in the music in that way? Like, is that kind of searching for, for peace or like looking for the, the after of the hardship, like a part of the sound? Or are you generally an optimist about things? I just love your perspective on this. If I'm just like blabbering on about nonsense, then sit, no, let me know. No, but um, this is, this is one <laughs> of the, this is really the thing we hear the most from people mm -hmm. that there's an ache and a beauty at the same time. Yep. And, and I mean, to, to, to simplify it, many people just say, I feel happy and sad at the same time, or I, you know, just to, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is not at all to get me to the other side. It's to companion me through whatever it is. Because if I am always thinking that I'm eventually going to get through this, I'll miss what I'm going through. Mm. Yep. What's in the way is the way, as they say. And the only way through is through. And I spent most of my life trying to get somewhere. And the, for the music to companion me through whatever it is, it can remind me that there is light at the end of the tunnel, as you said. But it also can remind me that there's also light in whatever it is right now that's going on, even though it's a speck. Yeah. Right. You know, I've, I've always described it as, as, you know, when you walk towards something and you're in darkness, it's not being able to see the city lights clearly. It's just being able to see a little speck of light and just start walking and not even be able to see your feet in front of you. Mm. That's what it feels like when you go through profound loss, you know? And so I've said that, I mean, I told my wife this one time, I said, you know, I, I mean, I just think our music is what it sounds like to be here. Like that's what it, that's what it sounds like for me to be here. And she's like, Oh, that's sad. <laughs> but, but the truth is, is that like, man, it, it really is. I grew up hearing simplistic plat, you know, platitudes and cliches and, and an emphasis on this artificial joy. Right. Mm -hmm. And this artificial sense of, things are okay when they're not okay. Clearly they're not okay. Right. I got dubbed as a defiant. I mean, you know, you've heard my story. I, I, I've struggled with all that stuff since I was 11, you know, to be honest with you. Mm. I, I mean, I, I mean, I could go into this and it is, it is, I mean, when I tell people about 
like how I was raised and all that. It, people are like, what, you know, I mean, it's borderline cultish crap, you know? And so wow. I wasn't allowed to be okay with my feelings, you know? And so, and so what, 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 what I love is when people, the hammock hits them so hard, they, they're like, I don't even know if I can listen to it again because it scares them. Mm. Right. It puts them in front of themselves. Yeah. And that's the thing about good music. It pulls things out of us that maybe we don't want to look at things we've been ignoring brings to surface. You know, one of the great stories is that when Andrew and I were hanging out with Timothy from Strand of Oaks backstage, his attorney was there and he was like, Oh yeah, you got to meet the guys in hammock, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's like, yeah, I hadn't listened to any of your stuff. And Timmy's like, you got to go home and listen to this stuff. And then the next day I'm looking at this guy's Twitter feed <laughs> and it just said, <laughs> last night I went down the hammock wormhole. I realized I need to call my dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so perfect yeah <laughs> that, that's just that's a micro of a macro right that's yeah. that's it right there you know and and man i just <laughs> love that yeah because calling your dad like my dad just passed away january 4th so i'm walking through mm. that right now i'm sorry um calling your dad uh for me at least was a mixed bag like like, you know, oh, I need to call my dad. I miss him. But what's it going to be like? How's yeah. it going to feel? And so I, I, when you say that, that it, there, there's a, I, I do think we process grief through our com, com, composing music, you know, the way that we compose it, the way that we sit with it. I've said in other interviews that sometimes I have people's faces. They just appear of people that I lost when I was very young and I'm just aware of them. I'm not saying they're in the room with me. I'm just saying that I'm very much aware of the fragility of things. Mm -hmm. And that is both sad and sobering, but also like really beautiful. Yeah. And if I let that impact me in the correct way, not lead me to despair, it may make me not want to waste my life, mm. you know? Yep. And and I'm not saying it like like you know, I don't want to overdo it with with hammock. I just I just know this about our music, not because I automatically thought it was going to be this way. It's because over time I've just heard the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so consistently that it's it's beautiful and painful at the same time. And if I don't know a better definition of life, then whew, that's it right there. Right. Exactly. And so sometimes we stump our toe and our whole body becomes our toe and that's all we can feel. And that's all we are. Right. But there's a whole part of us that's not splintered yet. That's it. We're okay. You know, but when we're in the midst of that darkness, I don't want someone tell me to feel better and you know, all that I want, I want to know, have you been, have you been in the darkness, man? Really? And you made it through? Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to suck and hurt. And it's going to, it's man, it's going to stretch you to places. It will bring you to the end of yourself. Yeah. But it's part of, it's part of it. It's just, that's just existence life on life's terms. That is as it is and what it is. And the best thing to do is put yourself in a good relationship with reality rather than always standing against it. And, and, um, 
And, and when I hear people say it stirs up so much, it reminds me like, like my stepfather used to talk about how the music would make him feel, you know? <laughs> and, and like, he was scared. You're like, that, that, that doesn't feel right. Like he would say that that's, that's demonic, you know, that's of the devil, you know? Um, and I'd be like, and, and looking back on that, I just realized like he was just scared of feeling. Yeah. Just scared of how much is stirred in him because it created a sense of, of like it put a crack in, in his certainty and, and it, and it made him, it made his world get uh, more afraid rather than less afraid, but also more exciting too. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. And, and, and I just think that, you know, art has always been that way. People are always like, you know, if they can't explain why it makes you feel something, they just, say it's you know cursed or it's it's you know these superstitious crap that we we believe in you know yeah its job is to hold a mirror up and if we don't like what we're looking at then it's only magnified definitely i i know a lot of people like your stepfather yeah it's a it's a scary place to to be i can only assume for them when they when that kind of crack occurs and there's well, a- it is it's disorienting i mean yeah. it is you know, i don't want to ever you know most people don't want to go through that because it's it's a reconfiguring of your whole life right exactly yeah man so i don't know how to follow that up but I, i'll bring it home here with with one last question that i wanted to ask and you know, you you and Andrew have been making music for for a long time now, but there's also been some a, a good bit of collaboration along the way too. Like I'm thinking of the Summer Kills, um, all the work that you've done with Matthew Ryan. Love that. You guys just recently reinterpreted some music with Yellow Card of all people, <laughs> which I think caught everyone by surprise. And like I I love that it's you're so willing. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll just be honest with you. That's where my whole kind of thing about like all serious all the time. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. some people are just not happy about us doing that. And it's like, man, I mean, Ryan's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's a huge hammock fan and loves this kind of music and was going through a really dark time in his life when he reached out to me. And we just started hanging out and talking. And he was like, well, what if he reinterpreted these three songs? And then it was just going to be for him. But then Yellow Card got back together and they started getting all this crazy attention. And we ended up doing nine songs, you know, and and it, I will just be honest with you. I need to do things like that because yeah. it resets my mind. It resets. It, it, it opens up enough space for me to not be overwhelmed by helm, hammock all the time. Yeah. yeah. I, and. And that's kind of the the first part of my question. I thought exactly of what you were saying earlier when you mentioned, yeah, the need to not take things too seriously all the time. But yeah, when you're writing music that is like very highly emotional and and, and charged like that, do you do you have consistent sources of like release that you go to, like non musical? I'm I'm wondering like how you get your head back on straight, you know, after going through an experience like writing a hammock album, I have to imagine that it's like a a pretty sort of emotionally exhausting experience to go through. And I'm wondering how you recharge from things like that. Like how quickly are you ready to to get back up in the, in the driver's seat again after going through something like that? Oh, I'm not ready to get back. Well, you know what? That's crazy. Cause sometimes like when we get to the end of an album, we're like so tired of working on that album. We start working on new stuff automatically, you know, like, like a cathartic release, you know, but 
for my own personal well-being. It's very personal. And so I don't want to break anybody's anonymity, but I have a group of people that I am very close to and connect with. And I meet, we meet around a fire every Monday night and we meet for an hour and a half and we talk stuff out and we let things out and we help each other and support each other. And also my wife and I, we just love to be with each other. You know, I mean, we, we went through a hard time when, you know, when I, that first trip to the monastery, we were going through a rough time. We've been together for a long time. And so she's just a real balance for me, you know, and she's an artist herself, you know, she's, yeah. Her degree is in classical voice, and and so she understands that, and she is a beautiful human being. The other thing I would say is that I read a lot. Yep, I like to go out in nature a lot. I meditate almost every night. This started. I mean, I do I do some in the morning too, but like at night during the during the lockdown, three three of us, ones in Seattle, decided at nine o'clock we would get on Zoom and we would sit in silence and meditate for 20 minutes. And we've done that mm. for, I don't know, since, since 2020 and we keep doing it. I don't do it every night, but you know, it's four or five nights a week. And, and it holds me in a place where like, sometimes people don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect, you know? And so I feel like I need to, <laughs> you know, they're expecting me to show up you know? And so I, I better go. And, and, and like, I literally have to open up my laptop and sit there and I'm like, sorry, honey, I know we're in the middle of this, but, you know, I got to meditate and that helps a whole lot. And I have a lot of guys that I help with the journey of sobriety. I'll just say that a lot of like, like a lot of my time is, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a place that I never want to end up in again Mm. once a week Mm. because I just want to, like, I want to remind people that there's life after you put down whatever it is that you've been using to cope. And you're going to be okay. And so that's very enriching. I mean, when you, when you really think about, and also my wife works with, with special needs. And so when I go upstairs and complain about somebody not playing in tune and I can't get something in time, she tells me she changed the diaper of a 13 year old. And I just really auto- automatically realize, Oh, all right. You know, that's perspective right there. You That'll know? do it. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It- and yeah, shout out to to Christine. I, I heard I love your credits for her angelic vocals that show up on so many uh, so many of your guys' records. God, yeah, the, talk about. I a, wish you, a, I wish you could sit in a, in a session with her, and I would and, love to and watch her work. It is, it's a. I mean, the way she she doubles, triples the harmonies she hears. I mean, it's just it's astounding. Yeah, I would love to make a record of nothing but her voice for the instrument. Just you know, layer and, and stack. I mean, I, I, that's, that's a dream of mine. So well, I love her work as Luminette too. So yeah, I, that would be a dream. I, it, I mean, my wife too, is a singer. She grew up a, a theater kid, um, you know, had dreams of being on Broadway one day, but I mean, yeah, she can, she can really belt and she's yeah. been on some of our music too. I am so jealous of people who can harness their voice in that way. I have no ability whatsoever. So <laughs> I'm very jealous of, of people like that. But 
Yeah. And then I guess just the second part of, of, of the question there, I asked about like, I'm asking about non-hammock things. So bringing it back musical a little bit too, like, like with the summer kills and the yellow card collaboration, like, are there any other non-hammock projects or ideas that are waiting in the wings at this point you haven't been able to fully explore yet? Anything you can share that might be uh, popping up in the future? I have, uh, we have something that I cannot share with you. And it's, it's just one song. It's one song, but it is happening. And this person has, I've noticed him being a fan on Instagram over the years. He's also a Southern artist invited us to come look at some, some artwork in the past. Um, and uh, there's a song that's that's done that we're waiting on them to send the files, and it's 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 a collaboration that I'm really excited about. And I I sought it out, so like I we weren't sought out, I sought it out, mm. and or shall I say our manager, so that I could I, if I was rejected, I didn't have to deal with it, you know. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I could just indirectly be rejected, nice. you know, and soften nice. it, like oh yeah, you know. He said he really loved to, but you know. But so, so, but, but it's something that like, we're really excited about. And I mean, right now it just, everything's, I get videos of them working on it and I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. I have a rough of it. And so, yeah, it's, it's something that I think that, that will be on the next record. It's in the vein of love in the void. I will say that, but it is, it's it's a song song and the lyric is pretty dark. And so, yeah. We like that. So I am, I'm whatever it is. I'll, I'll, I'm eagerly awaiting the, the results there. So <laughs> not music stuff. I will tell you, Matt kid keeps trying to get me to do a sub stack or he tries to get me to do a podcast. I mean, it's just something. Yeah. 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 Cause I think basically he'd like to be a co-host just so that he could hang out with his uncle Mark and listen, to, <laughs> you know, and, and like, like, Hey man, Matt, you're not crazy. You're just a really weird artist type guy. And <laughs> You have a kid and man, life's weird, you know? <laughs> so I love Matt to death. Yeah. If, you, if you're listening, Matt, we, we appreciate your efforts. We love you. Matt's working <laughs> on for us right now. He, he says he's do, he's doing, he's done violins yesterday or day before, and he's going to do cellos on Monday. I think he's doing four songs and awesome. he'll have that for us. He says by the end of the week. Yeah. I love me. I love me some Matt kid. He's like yeah. a little brother. He's a good, he's <laughs> He's a wonderful human being. Always love hanging out with him. All right. Wow. Well, thanks, Mark. Yeah, that was really, really fun conversation. Thank you for for opening up about so much of this stuff and entertaining my my questions here. Really enjoyed the time. Thank you. Well, I hope I didn't let you down. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> you d- definitely did I not. I really appreciate you having me on. This has been an, a wonderful conversation. This is really refreshing. So I'm, I'm glad I could be that for you. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to help. Well, thanks, Mark. As always, please visit the Substack for a full transcription of the interview you just heard and subscribe to be notified of future interviews as well. You can support Hammock and their music by visiting hammockmusic.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.